Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today, I get to welcome back one of my favorite guests and one of the truly nicest people you will ever meet and one of the most enthusiastic product people I know, Kirsten Butso. Kirsten is Senior Vice President at HMH, product management enthusiast, passion, mentor, leader, and a former pragmatic instructor, as well as a very good friend of mine. So welcome, Kirsten. Happy New Year, Rebecca. This is a fantastic way to start the new year. Always uh, getting an opportunity to visit with you is fun, but just particularly fun getting to do this the first year of 2023. So happy yes. new year. Happy New Year. What a great way to spend it. All right. So today, I think a super interesting topic that you brought up is sort of sometimes the hidden cause of what seems to be a bad culture or seems to be tension. And one of the areas that I don't know that we think about enough proactively or that we look enough when we get symptoms of problems on a team, this area can be a cause. And I don't know that we always think of it because it doesn't necessarily sound as sexy. But it's really, it's workflows, right? It's thinking about workflows and ensuring that your organization has strong workflows throughout. And again, that sounds super simple, but some of the examples and some of the things that you've talked about, about how those can really trip up an organization, I think are really, really excited. So I think diving into the power of workflows sounds amazing. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that has just really kind of come into the forefront of my mind recently. Because, you know, we spend a lot of time, and I think especially over the last three years with the pandemic, we spent a lot of time talking about how to craft a great corporate culture. Mm -hmm. And we really had to get very creative when we all went remotely and trying to create a culture and trying to create connectivity. And the natural place to run in creating a really healthy corporate culture is you look at activities associated with creating culture, the things we would traditionally assign to creating culture, group gatherings, having trivia night, dressing up, you know, having costume days on your, you know, Teams calls or your Zoom calls or whatever, you know, having people share photographs and, you know, something about themselves, all the things that we do to try to create teamwork and try to create culture. And then sometimes we find we just still don't seem to be creating the flow that we want with each other when we work together in the organization. And we're sort of stymied by that because we think, well, we've done game night. 
So, you know, we have to have created some culture, right? We sent sent people, you know, water bottles that said, you're awesome on them. (laughs) You must have a good culture now. And we don't stop and pause and think for a second, well, wait a second, isn't that just an outward action that we're taking to reinforce that we all are on the same team, but we're not really looking at what's at the very foundational core of our corporate culture, and that is the work that we do. Hmm. And then we think about how that work flows through the organization. And if we don't have an abundance of clarity on the work we're doing, and we don't have an abundance of clarity on the flow, or the flow doesn't flow well, it runs into roadblocks, it doesn't you know, pass through the organization the way that it should, then you've got problems. And the way to solve those problems isn't by having culture events, which I'm not, I'm not saying those aren't an important component. It's to get to that basis and that, that foundational look at your work and how that work flows through the entire organization, because that's going to tell you where you have real problems in your culture that you need to think about addressing as an organization. I think that's super smart too, because Often when we think about, not often, but a thing for a lot of us, right? We think, okay, the culture within my group is good. And it's the culture, it could be within your team, it could be within your function, but it's often where you think, oh, like our culture is good, but as an organization or where we have problems is with this other team, right? And you think about it and you're thinking, oh, there's just a cultural difference between the way marketing and IT work, right? But I think that that's what we talk about, but like like you said, if we can pull the layers back, is it really that? Or is there a lack of clarity on handoffs and different expectations? And, you know, if, if we say this all the time, but like, you know, Kirsten, if you're expecting me to act some way and I, I, I'm expecting it to go a different way, if we don't have that same expectation, so I can't make you happy. Right. You know, it's funny too. It's what you say is exactly right. And we, we, you'll find this, every organization has the team that's firing on all cylinders and they're working really great together. And they're kind of the group that people from other parts of the organization think, man, I want to get on that team because mm-hmm. that team looks like the team, right? Or there's two teams that both are working really great independently, but when you put them together, they don't work well together. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. a problem. And so if you have that phenomenon, it's very hard to actually have an end in healthy culture as an organization, because you can't just have pockets of awesome and pockets of awesome, but they don't work well together and then expect all that to come out the back end as awesome, right? You, you, it's just, it's an impossibility. All right. Let's talk about a couple different things, right? First, let's talk about how do we know if the thing that is appearing as a cultural problem is a workflow problem? So I'm going to go to one place that is just a pet peeve of mine <laughs> that I think finds itself always in the epicenter of this phenomenon that we're talking about, as well as I'm going to be so provocative as to say, you know, controversy in the organization. And that is that relationship between the product organization and the engineering or the development organization. Hmm. And I'm going to tell you, I can walk in to almost any company and I can say, tell me how your product and engineering or your development teams are working together. And I can tell you right off the bat whether or not that company is maximizing its ability and its performance 
and how it's serving its customers or how it's not. And I will tell you how that I can figure that out. It's really quite simple. If you have a scenario in your company where the workflow conversation goes something like this, product managers, product owners, product leaders create user stories, create requirements that they hand to the engineering organization that says, please build this for my customers. And the engineering organization reacts and says, I can't build what you have provided me. You need to give me more detail. Mm. And they hand it back. And then the product manager says, well, I don't feel like I should have to write that it should work in the user story. That should be self, <laughs> self-evident. self And they hand it back. Or the engineer says, wow, this is so detailed. It feels like you're trying to do my job for me. And now I feel as though you're stifling my creativity, you're stifling my collaboration. So I'm going to give you only what you ask for and exactly what you ask for. And if you have any version of that exchange going back and forth, I can tell you what's not happening. Great product isn't being produced on behalf of the customer's problems you're trying to solve because you're spending all your time trying to figure out that broken workflow back and forth. And that right there tells me you have a more fundamental problem. And the cultural problem that you have is trust. And if you don't fix that one thing in your organization, no organization can achieve its maximum potential because you don't have that level of collaboration required. I will tell you as long as I'm on my soapbox, my second pet peeve with this, and then I'll I'll stop. Nothing drives me crazier than if you walk into an organization and you work with an organization and you hear this, you know that this phenomenon is taking place. And then you hear people say things like, yes, but that's the healthy tension in the relationship between product and engineering. You want healthy tension. And I always think to myself, really? Really? Because the thing is, if you think about any successful partnership in your life, whether it's a friendship, whether it's your significant other, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, I mean, heck, whether it's your dogs, I don't know. But you don't walk into that saying, you know what I really want? I don't want to have a collaborative relationship where we iterate together on problems. I want to have a relationship where we pass work back and forth with healthy tension. And we're going to expect a really great outcome from that. We wouldn't say that in our personal life. But yet, because there is this often this workflow challenge that you see, instead of just saying, maybe we've got a workflow problem that's inhibiting our collaboration, that's inhibiting our culture, we're going to call it by another name and say it's good because that's easier to do than actually have mm. to dig in and fix the issue. And so that's that's an, that's kind of an, an epicenter of the example that I'm talking about or thinking about. So, I mean, I think that those are great examples. And I so it's like finger pointing, right, is a place. And, and I think you talked about a little like rework. So if you are on the other side of the house, if you are in product marketing and you're handing over things to sales and it always they always edit it before it goes out or they send things to you right so either way the rework is happening is a place where unexpected rework let me let me make clear right 
is a place where you can say like, okay, so there was a handoff break, right? There was a spot where they thought I was giving them a positioning document and the Marcom team thought I was giving them something else or it wasn't what they needed. Those are areas where you can look for tension points and see it. And I think that's a, I didn't really think about that, but like there is no healthy tension in a marriage that you're like, oh, well, you know, they fight a lot, but that's probably healthy. Is that, you know? And, and to really look at those points and look at those points, not at, and I think this is where it's interesting to think about as workflow. It's not as a personality breakdown and it's not personal. There's something in the process, in the flow that isn't clear, which means it's something we can solve. A hundred percent. And you know, places, and I agree with you, by the way, there's plenty of places you can look and identify this, the usual suspects, you know, marketing brochures getting rewritten by people they shouldn't be getting rewritten by, or, you know, there's lots of different places, but I think the thing that makes me think about this too, Rebecca, is when you see these breakpoints happening, where rework is probably another good indicator that you just, you know, put on the table. If you've got a lot of rework going on, you probably have a flow problem. And very often the flow problem comes from, I'm going to say inside out organizational mindset, right? Somebody got burned at some point because a release date was missed. Right. And instead of saying, well, we did the best we could with the information we had available at the time, and we knew we might miss this date if the unforeseen circumstances presented themselves, they did. Let's have a mature conversation about it. Great. We understand. No harm, no foul. Instead, we like to get out the stick right? Why was that date missed? And so now you start the finger pointing. Well, as soon as you go there, everybody's going to go to their own corners and then they're just going to go into not to use a sports analogy, but they're going to go into prevent defense mode. Yep. And it's going to be a, a prevent mode. And you know what I think is the most sort of fascinating thing about these rework flow challenges that manifest themselves in this way is the one thing that you don't ever really hear being talked about in trying to fix that exchange is the customer. Right. And the customer is the one who's very often getting lost in the shuffle because we're so down inside how we're handing work off to each other in a healthy way and collaborating and iterating back and forth in that exchange that we forget that everything that we're doing, the work part of the workflow is actually on behalf of our customers. And if what we're doing isn't actually benefiting them, isn't actually solving a problem that they have, isn't actually creating value for them, we're inhibiting our ability to succeed as an organization because we're not serving our customers in that scenario. We're not delivering them things that are good for them in that scenario. We're worried about why is this work not the work and why is the flow not the flow? And we're chasing the wrong things. Yep. Yep. And I I think that's interesting because when we go now to talk about, so we identified an area where there's an issue. We think it's workflow. How do we fix it? How do we work on it as a group? And I think that's a really interesting lens is how can we fix it in a customer centric way? Yeah. Well, you got to start with the customer. Right. And so it starts with the customer. What is the problem we're trying to solve for the customer? Is it universally understood? And what I mean by that is have we removed our opinions Mm. and validated the data 
that says what it is and informs it being universally understood. So break point number one is we should be rallying around customer data that tells us the problem they need us to solve for them. And it needs to be validated data, not opinions, not individual opportunities, not somebody's idea or vision. Those things are great. And those things can be considered as long as they've been run through the lens of validated customer data. If we start there, you can already see what that does to set that workflow up for success. Because now the input through the entire process end to end is always on behalf of the customer. And so if you use the customer as the lens by which all of those steps in the process are rallying and it is a universally understood and agreed upon validated data set, well, it sure takes a lot of the other conversation off the table very, very quickly because your opinions don't matter. The next one sales deal you have is not as relevant. I'm not going to say those aren't ever relevant because I also right. live, in, live in the real world, but the number of times that you find yourself running deal to deal to deal becomes less and less and less. The new idea somebody had because they visited one customer becomes not statistically significant in its sample size, right? Because that's not a validated data set. And so all of a sudden you say, well, yeah, but wait a second. We have this validated data set. Now we're saying A, B, and C are the things we want to rally around, but that's not what the customer data tells us. Don't we want to defer back to the customer data? Now as an organization, you have to be able to say, oh, you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm going to set my opinion aside because we have a rallying cry. And the rallying cry is our customers need us to help them. They have problems they want us to solve. We should be able to uniquely solve them. Let's rally around that. So when you think about workflow, for me, it all starts with that customer mm -hmm. data set, right? And so that's kind of item number one. Item number two is, I think one of the most critical things an organization can do is they think about putting that work through the flow, the things you want to do to serve the customer, whether it's your sales strategies, your marketing strategies, your product development, your customer success, your customer support is you always, we're always going to have more work than we have resources and time to complete the work. Always, always. We will always have 10 pounds of dirt to fit in a five pound bag. I have never in my entire career run into an organization that has unlimited time, unlimited money, yeah. unlimited people, and unlimited resources. The time, scope, Resourcing conversation is one of the most invaluable tools you can have, because if you make that agreement up front, we're going to set out to do a set of work to satisfy this problem. But if we run into trouble, we're going to either adjust the time or we're going to adjust the scope. In the long term, we can apply resources, but in the short term, we can't. And then we're all going to agree to that. Right. And then if release dates start getting missed and you have that agreement up front, nobody cares. It's not even a conversation. It's like, yeah, well, we said we were gonna be scope driven, so the date slipped. Yep. Or yeah, we said we were gonna be date driven, so we adjusted the scope. And no harm, no foul. And so you start to, you start to completely flip the way you're thinking about moving that work because now it's not about hitting an arbitrary deadline 
it's not about doing something exactly the way somebody envisioned it. It's about rallying around the customer and it's about having a rubric in place at the front that says, we know we're going to run into trouble. We just don't know what it is yet because you never know. And when that happens, we're not going to get set sideways. We're just going to go, oh yeah, well, we plan for this and then we're going to move on. And so it begins, you can really start to see how that can change the way work moves. And when you change the way work moves, now you build collaboration, you build trust, you build people's willingness to unleash their creativity because they can pass work more freely back and forth with each other without feeling like there's a punitive element. And that's when you get an accelerated work product out the back end. Nice. Excellent. Do you have any stories you can share about workflows? I will tell you one just very, very specifically. Earlier this year, my team deployed a new platform, operations platform for one of my departments. And we were on an accelerated time frame, an accelerated schedule, but we had a date we had to hit. Hmm. And so we said at the start of the project, folks, we are date driven. And so we've done our best to get prepared for this deployment. But we know if we run into trouble, we will have to adjust scope because the date must be hit. And by the way, if we have to adjust scope, nobody's going to get in trouble for that. Nobody's. So we're going to have, you know, what here's our, you know, things, you know, the must haves, nice to haves kind of list. But if it doesn't all get done and we understand why that is, and we understand that we've all shown up and committed to getting the work done and we still don't get it. Okay. No problem. Sure enough, about 60 days into a five month project, it was looking like we were not going to get all the scope we originally had set out to get done. And the narrative started to creep into the conversation. Well, we need to, you know, we're not going to get that done. And we need to start reporting on how we're not going to get this stuff done and how we're going to have shortfalls. And I was like, oh, no, 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 we're not. We are not doing that because that's not what we agreed to. What we agreed to is we were going to hit a date. We have a list of things and we're going to do our level best to get as absolute much of it as we can. We ran into this unforeseen circumstance. And so we're going to get another version of it done than what we originally planned. And nobody's going to get in trouble for that. And we're not going to start reporting that there's some sort of egregious miss here because that wasn't our upfront agreement. Our upfront agreement was we're going to do what we can get done. And everybody, it made everybody really uncomfortable. Mm. But I'm like, you know, just trust me on this one. And lo and behold, we were able to pick up velocity towards the tail end of the project. And we got everything that we originally intended to do, and we hit the date. Now, imagine if at that 60-day mark, instead, we had started reporting out that we were going to miss, you know, three of the 10 features we wanted to have for our V1.0. Now, all of a sudden, instead of spending our time getting that work done and actually getting everything done and hitting the date, we would have spent our time in meetings explaining why we were going to miss three of the 10 things. And it wasn't, in a, it wasn't a productive use of our time. It wasn't productive for the project. And ultimately, it wasn't what we agreed upon we would hold ourselves accountable to at the beginning of the project. And so we said, no, that's just simply not what we agreed to. And so we're going to be happy if we get the seven. We're going to celebrate the seven and we're going to try for the 10. And sure enough, we were able to get the 10, but we would have put ourselves in a very, very broken place and we would have completely obstructed the flow of the work 
if we had stopped to be punitive arbitrarily 60 days in, that ultimately wasn't really going to get us anything relative to the ultimate goal at hand. See, making changes. Making changes. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard. People, people were sort of freaked out, you know, when I was just like, oh no, if we get seven out of 10, I'm going to be as happy as I would be if we got 10 out of 10. And they were like, well, I don't think that's the way we should think about it. I'm like, well, that's the way we're going to think about it. Right. Yeah. And And it was uncomfortable, but that's what we did. And it, it changed. And I will tell you that one project completely changed it was heartwarming to see what that did for all the different parts of the business that were involved in the deployment of this particular thing because they came together as a team and now they're just sort of a crew. And the, the, the way that the work now moves for every project we need that works with all of those teams on any type of platform changes is vastly different because we gave everybody the freedom to think about how we're going to move work and how we're going to think about how we do with the work versus putting together constraints that we have to say you're good or bad by. Instead, we're saying, are we rallying around the work? Are we doing the best we can? Are we flowing it with the maximum velocity? And then we'll get it done. We'll get something great out the back end. And that's where you really get kind of exponential velocity with a team. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, it's coming. We talked oh, about lots of different things, Kirsten. No. If you were going to have people do two things differently tomorrow based on what we talked about today, what would it be? I am begging. I am pleading for everybody working in any job, but tech in particular, at the start of every one of your projects to say, are we date driven or are we scope driven? Because we all know adding resources in the short term isn't going to help you. So let's set that one aside for the time being. If you can get more resources and it'll impact, great. And then look at each other in the eye and say, we all know something bad is going to happen. We just don't know what it is yet. And when that something bad happens and we have to recalibrate, we are going to do that joyfully. We are going to celebrate that we discovered we have to de-scope. We are going to celebrate that we have to push a date because what it says is we assess the work to the best of our ability. We did what we could. None of us could have foreseen the thing that came our way that needs us to make adjustments. And we will gleefully and joyfully together make the adjustments and celebrate and move forward. And we will take the human nature desire to have a punitive discussion at that moment in time off the table because it ultimately inhibits the work, it inhibits the flow, and it inhibits the culture. The second thing I would say is I would really challenge people to ask themselves if they are truly rallying the decisions they're making around customer-validated data. Mm. Or have they allow, are you allowing opinions individual ideas, inside out thinking to permeate the actions that you're taking and really try to, it's easy to do. You show up to work and we're all busy and we get in the weeds for the work we've got to get done. It's easy to do. It's easy to stop, not stop and say, wait a second, how is this thing serving our customers really? And yeah, those would probably be the two big challenges that I'd have for folks in 2023. 
Excellent. That's it, guys. Got some New Year's resolutions to go with the new year. Thank you, Kirsten, for joining us today. It's always wonderful to talk with you. It's always insights that you give us. It's always sharing your experience, and we really appreciate it. Well, I always enjoy getting to spend time with you, Rebecca, and thank you very much for having me as always. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 